Hey there, and welcome to Brave Business Triumphs in partnership with Next, a growth acceleration agency. In our customer and control world, it's critical to understand that your business and your brand need to be more connected than ever before. Check out each episode with host Doug Longenecker and his special guests as they check in with growth-minded leaders and their organizations, exploring why and how they strive to make their businesses more personal and their brands more human. Learn from their inspiring stories of uphill battles, perseverance, and what it takes to make the necessary bold moves with confidence. Get ready, because here we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome again to Brave Business Triumphs. On this episode, I'm excited for us to be speaking with Judy Arnold about the importance for growth-minded organizations to develop an annual strategic marketing plan. This will be the first episode in a new five-part series with Judy as we explore strategic planning for 2022. During her career, Judy has led strategic marketing initiatives and marketing teams of all sizes at Marsh & McLennan, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Hart Hanks, and Corp View. As the director of go-to-marketing strategies at SEI, she developed a new lead generation model to create a consistent demand for sales teams, nurture longer-term opportunities, and win business through direct marketing and database management. And as the VP of Marketing and member of the executive team at Vitalist, Judy led all marketing and communications, including strategy and planning, SEO and SEM, brand awareness, public relations, demand gen, and channel marketing. Judy, it's such a pleasure to be speaking with you about planning as part of the team at Next. With your background, experience, and expertise in both B2C and B2B, and for the past few years working agency side, you have a fantastic inside-out, outside-in perspective to solving the many challenges that organizations face today. And to do that effectively, it all starts with developing a strategic marketing plan. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Great. Well, just uh, first and foremost, uh, why do you think so many businesses and organizations are winging it uh, or quote winging it when it comes to developing and implementing an annual marketing plan? Well, you know, I think it really depends on the type of business, the size of business and the industry. I have found, oh, and the maturity of the business. But what I've really found is in smaller businesses, a lot of times marketing doesn't exist. There's no marketing director or there's a junior person. And what happens is everyone at that business is focused on running the business. And so marketing becomes reactive, last minute, not well-planned, which means they can miss out on opportunities or execute poorer quality. So that's what I see with the small businesses. With larger businesses, especially in B2B, what I found was coming from B2C, seasonality drove our business. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you, you know, if you were in the business of offering back to school supplies, if you weren't ready with that plan and that inventory and those ads in July, you missed the boat. So you had to plan. Then I got to B2B and it seemed like there was no seasonality to the business. And it was based more on annual goals, maybe quarterly quotas for sales, but and then there was a lack of understanding of marketing and what it really took to do it. So everybody just expected you could, I could tell you Friday, I want this Monday. And frankly, some places operated that way, but mm -hmm. it's not effective. So those are some of the reasons is not having that pressure of deadline oriented business in the B2B large company realm. Is there a way to create more of a sense of, of urgency? Because I'm, I'm with you. I, I grew up uh, professionally 
uh, my first job in an agency was on a automotive aftermarket retail account. And just like mm-hmm. you were mentioning, seasonality really drove that. So, you know, mm-hmm. coming out of winter uh, into spring, that is that's that's time for at, at that time mufflers just because of bad mm-hmm. weather, potholes right. that was going to wreak havoc with the stainless steel and the, the mufflers. And then you got into uh, suspension time frame and brakes and just annual checkup for the car before you go on vacation. There's all sorts of different little um, sequences or, or times in a, a customer's um, life um, and right. incident with that, that auto, uh, their, their cars or trucks that requires some sort of maintenance and, or even thinking about it. Right. Well, creating urgency, um, it was difficult. One of the things I tried was mapping out the entire process um, for the lead gen campaigns that we're doing. So I had a, it was like a size of a ledger paper and it was a three pronged process of here's the path that the list takes. Here's the path that the creative development takes. And here's the path for, uh, telemarketing. And I tried to show how long it took to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, couldn't get the head of sales to look at it with me. So it didn't help much, but I tried, um, I think um, something I want to share with you in a little bit um, will give you more of an insight into some of the ways um, I could help them understand the need for planning because um, I kind of blew up and shone a light on the problems where we weren't planning and I just did it and got them to see the results of doing it right. So you just kind of have to say, just let me do this and then show them on the back end sometimes. Mm -hmm what I found. Well, um, and I, I know I've heard you say many different times and in, in different ways, but the one that struck a chord with me was a plan should be a map, not a straitjacket. Can you share a little bit more context around that? Yeah, this gets back to uh, your first question about businesses winging it. What I found in the B2B realm in larger companies, a lot of times the executives felt like a plan would be restrictive and it would limit me because I was very process oriented and I, I, I could scare people away thinking that process was rigid, but process allows for adaptability and flexibility in reality. Mm-hmm. So think about it as a map. If you were going to go somewhere you have never been, you wouldn't just hop in your car and pray and hope you'd get there, right? You would map it out. You would figure out how long is it going to take? You would say to yourself, what is more important to me getting there quickly or a scenic route? Do I do I want to worry about traffic on the highway or do I want to go a little slower and take the back roads? All of these things come into play in your decisions. Plus, if you hit a backup, if you hit an accident by having a map, be it old-fashioned print or the new digital that can tell you what to do, you're going to have detours, you're going to have options. It's the same thing with a marketing plan. So when you build your plan, you say, okay, Based on what I know, I think we're going to do these, I'll say these five things. So you build a budget around it, you build projections, and then you monitor it. If it's not working, you shift and you take that money you allocated for that and you do something different with it because you planned, we've got plan A, B, and C. And if A doesn't work, we're going to shift to B. And if A works, we want to spend more money on A. So now you take the money from plan B and you put it towards that. So the trick is to have some money set aside for the unplanned. Um, say things change in the market, look at the pandemic, companies had to reinvent themselves. So if you didn't have some money set aside to try something new and different, 
you might not be able to do what you needed to do. So, you know, to me, having that plan allows you to be agile. It allows you to be flexible. Whereas, you know, if you take the time and you sit down and you're thoughtful and you bring in all the right players, you can map out a strong plan. If you don't do that, every quarter you need to do it. You need to stop and start over. And that's waste time. So, you know, you're better off to think through it, to come up with a plan and then build in that adaptability, build in that time to measure, test, adjust, learn, change. So that's got to be part of it. It is not meant to be, hey, sorry, we said we were going to do these things. And so we're going to do them. That's not the point. It's, it's to have that, that map, that tool, that guide to allow you to follow a path, but divert if you need to. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and within that, it seems to me it's also, um, you know, inherent to the, the whole um, map metaphor is you've got a, a, a starting point and then you've got a, a, some sort of goal of where you want to be in some, right. some defined future. And, right. and that's important. Otherwise, it just feels like the organization would be flailing away. Um, right. or, or maybe just then, then as a default is looking at very short term objectives, which, which may not, Absolutely. which may not suit for the, the bigger picture, the, the larger vision of the organization. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, from all the different experiences that, that you've, you've had, what, what was one of the most memorable outcomes from having a solid marketing roadmap in place? for the year where you could, like you said, you know, have the, the blueprint, but uh, looking to be able to, the flexibility to adapt. And, and then conversely, is there a marketing moment that you might love to forget? Right. Well, I think this gets back to your, your question about um, how do you get people to recognize the need for a plan and the urgency? So what I was able to do when I worked in financial services um, and like many times when I change jobs, when I come in, I never want to be that person that comes in and says, I know the, the right way, the only way we're going to do it my way. I come in and I say, let me understand what's happening. Let me analyze the situation and let me see if there are, are reasons things are happening the way they are, if there's better ways to do them. So when I got to this financial services firm, they had a very interesting model in place where they were sending out high-end dimensional direct mail packages, and then using an outsourced telemarketing firm to place outbound calls to schedule in-person meetings for our sales force all over the country. I was quite surprised by this because there wasn't a variance in the value of the package. So to me, if it's a million-dollar deal, the package you send should be higher end. If it's a $100,000 deal, the package might be less expensive. Mm -hmm. They weren't doing those things. Um, and here are some of the things that I discovered that allowed me to build a more effective plan. So first of all, the salespeople would casually say, yeah, that meeting got canceled, this meeting got canceled. So I started to get the sense that meetings weren't sticking, but I didn't really know why at first. Secondly, when I looked at the cost of these mailers, I was really shocked. I mean, spending 80 to $100 to put this package in the mail, high-end uh, remote control cars, uh, glossy four-color brochures, um, you know, it costs like 15 bucks just to get it in, in the mail, the packaging. So that surprised me. You know, I came from high volume direct mail where we were spending a couple bucks package. So this was really new to me. And then lastly, the salespeople had feast or famine. It was slam 
with appointments or nothing. Hmm. So what I did is I started looking at things and I made changes by planning ahead and I was able to prove that value. So first of all, I've reduced costs by pre-printing the glossy brochures and ganging them. So we might have four different packages that we could choose from for the year. We had an American made item for the union audience because they didn't like when they got a remote patrol car made in China. Mm-hmm. We bought mag lights that were made out in California, USA made flashlights. Um, so we had those on the shelf. The brochures were ready to go. The packaging was ready to go. All we had to do when we were ready to mail was personalize the letter insert it, address it, and ship it. So right there, we saved money. Um, Secondly, I realized the only data going into our CRM was that someone took an appointment. The data was not going in that said, the CFO is going to retire in two years until he does. Don't waste your money reaching out. Wait till a new CFO is here. Um, We weren't capturing that data. We weren't capturing the data um, that said, not now, later, go away, Mm -hmm. whatever. I started capturing that data. I was able to look at, I also had to force the salespeople to start updating the database after an appointment. And what I learned was 30% of the appointments were getting canceled. Meanwhile, I put wow. some poor guy on a plane and flew him to Iowa. And <laughs> he, he gets out there and the prospect calls and says, well, you know, I heard you were going to be in the area. So hopefully it's not a big deal, but I can't meet today. Well, what I realized is the call guide was, was not right. The call guide was hi, my sales guy's going to be in your area. We understand you have a pension plan. Think we could help you. He just wants to get to know you and meet you. Well, that wasn't effective. I don't know about you. I don't have time for those kinds of meetings and neither did the CFOs. So we changed it to be more of a needs-based call. Mm. And the call became about, we understand you have a pension plan. We are experts in managing that. So you can focus on building the widgets that you build. We can help you get higher returns. Can we have a meeting and talk about it? Is there a need? So what we did is we went from high quantity to high quality. We stopped in sending the callers just on quantity of appointments, but I started tracking how many of those happened, how many moved to a second call and how many moved to deals. And I would award them based on that. So that took time. Yeah, but there's an important change in messaging you you noted too. That's right. And these deals took 12 to 18 months. So it was a long you know, it took me a year to change the process and it took me another year to high, to incent the callers. Unfortunately, we didn't have high turnover on our call team. So, so it worked. The other thing I did is I mapped out and I saw this bell curve when we mailed versus when appointments hit and when they dropped off. So instead of literally, uh, this is literally what was happening. I asked the agency that we were working with, tell me what happens, you know, when you get asked to do a mailing. And he said to me, I got a call on a Friday that they needed appointments and we tried to get something out the next week. And I said, well, that's, that's not how we're doing it anymore. We are going to have a plan. I could see that if I mailed, there was a bell curve to how the appointments came. So I started a plan that as the appointments were hitting, that's when we mailed the next package. So we had a steady flow of appointments and we stopped that feast or famine. That's how I got the executives to recognize the need for planning. So when it was, feast or famine, it was because there was no plan and the packages were costly because they weren't getting economies of scale on the print. So all of those things I did and I got them to recognize the plan. Um, And what I learned was they didn't want to see all the steps. They didn't want to know all the detail. I might have reams of paper and spreadsheets. I just showed them the high level. Here's what you need to know. And that is how I got them on board with 
a real plan. Yeah. And it helped. I could prove more appointments were going from first call to second call and more second calls were converting to deals. So we could justify um, this new process and plan. So it, it what, I, what I, I love what I'm hearing is, is there's, there's data involved there. There's data involved in the presentation to executive um, boards and councils to show the effectiveness, but there's also an, data analysis that went into your decision-making and, and how to make changes right. and make be adaptable, make your plan adaptable based on new, new facts that are, that are learned throughout the process. Right. And, and before it was that winging it, it was, ah, we need some appointments. Let's do something. And no one was looking at the back end data to say, wait a minute, we're not updating the database that this guy left and he's not even there anymore. Or this one, they weren't, you know, I created all these processes with the telemarketing firm. We had weekly feeds of data. Um, they were charging us a fee every time we sent them a list. And I said, why are you doing that? And they said, because every time we get the list, it's different. I said, okay, that's going to change. So we built a standard format. First mm -hmm. name in column A, second in column B. And I said, I'll pay you one fee at the beginning of the year to set this up, but I'm not paying you quarterly. And they said, as long as your file comes in the same, that's fine with us. And so I just had to work with the data team to change that. So yeah, process and planning can make a big impact. Yeah, yeah. And then um, was there any, any moment that you wanted to, or wish you could forget? I'm happy to say there, there wasn't any real fiasco that happened in my career that I thought I was going to get fired because something went incredibly wrong. But because I am such an efficiency nut and I, I like everything to be organized and planned and process oriented, there was a process I was expected to do that I thought was relatively insane and scary and risky. And I'm happy to say I was able to um, find a better way. So when I started working at a direct marketing organization, my job, I had a client that was a retail chain. I, I can't remember. I think we had 1,800 stores all over the country. And they would send out what you get in your Sunday newspaper circulars every, every uh, week. And so it was my job to work with their printer in Canada, get 7 million circulars to our five mailing plants, work with data to uh, target the residential zip codes, get them in the mail, and then to do the back-end analysis of how many of these people, you know, how were the sales in those stores? Well, what the client wanted was so that they could fully assess their costs. They wanted not only our mail plan expenses for insertion and labeling um, to be by their ADI, which is areas of direct influence. Mm -hmm. They also wanted the, the postal reconciliation to be that way. So, you know, an ADI might split a zip code. Um, so this region might have half of Maryland and half of PA, and that's what we call this, you know, this one region, but the post office gives you your 3602s by zip order. Yeah. So when I got there, the prior account executive was taking these, okay, I'm going to date myself now, <laughs> thick green bar computer printouts and manually figuring out how to take those printouts of the postal expenses and reconcile it to the client's ADI. So they showed me how to do it once. And the first month I did it was a nightmare. I, I, I was so worried I was going to make a mistake. I, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not great with numbers. And here I was manually doing all these calculations. So after surviving that once, I went to my data guy who loved a challenge. And I said to him, I got a question. 
didn't this report come out of the computer? And he says, yes. I said, then why can't we analyze it in the computer? Help me figure this out. He literally wrote me a process that was single spaced page and a half line by line. And we took the data. I think we used three platforms. It might've been access Fox pro and Excel. Mm. And he mapped out a way to dump the data and by manipulating it back and forth into these different programs with some set templates, we got it down to eight hours. Wow. So from three days of my time to one day of my time. So, you know, I, it just, it was crazy to me and he loved the chat. And I'll admit, I never could do it without that cheat sheet. <laughs> I, had to, <laughs> I had to read every line along the way. And if I got stuck, I'd call him and we had checks and balances, but I've always been that way. I'm always looking for ways to make the process better and more efficient. Um, you know, most of my career, I've, I've never had enough marketing people on the team. So you have to make sure you're working as efficiently as you can. And, um, it was more accurate. It was more effective, more efficient. And, uh, got me out of that horrible manual process of wasting two days of my life. Well, that's one of the reasons I love working with you because <laughs> so many times it's been, why are we doing things this way? And right. if there's not a really good answer or the answer is because just, just the way it gets done, that's the way we've done it. Um, we're looking to change how, what we're doing. That's right. That is, I never, I hate to hear that. Well, we always done it that way. Okay. <laughs> if it still makes sense, great. But you know what? It, it, there could be better ways to do it now. So Yep. That's what and, I'm always and I, I love how you've referenced data uh, kind of before data was necessarily a, a, a thing, so to, so to speak. Uh, it's always been important uh, beyond just research, but in, in analyzing what we are doing and why, why we're doing it to provide that rationale. And as technology has, has advanced, you know, data now is a lot easier to um, come by. It's a lot easier to manipulate. It's, there's still challenges, but it's, it's, um, it's part of, the wave of business that is making things easier for people and more, more efficient and more effective in terms of the products that are developed or Absolutely. the interactions with, with consumers uh, and customers. Mm -hmm. So um, within that, just evolution of technology data is one thing, but is there in, in regards to planning and developing plans or having uh, focusing your team on planning for uh, the upcoming year, is there any, um, new technology or new digital platforms or apps that um, you've come in contact with that you think are really beneficial for other people to take a look at and potentially use? Yeah, there, that landscape is changing constantly. There are always new tools and technologies coming out, always being upgraded. Um, but yeah, there, there are there are a lot of good tools, you know, when it comes to planning, um, analytics are really important, you know, so everything from, you know, free Google analytics to look at what you've done in the past there and to look at competition to um, Power BI, which is a Microsoft platform, which allows you to take disparate data and pull it together. Um, you know, I have seen people work wonders with Excel and pivot tables and, you know, that is still a good tool. So those are some of the things for that planning process. And then for the implementation, you really should be using some kind of file sharing, project management tools, some ways to uh, have people work collaborate and collaborate together. So for instance, um, you know, I talked about Google Docs is one way that people can review files together and comment on them. You know, Basecamp, Slack, Asana, um, Monday, Workamajig, Mavenlink. There are so many project management tools out there that allow you to map out your process, to see where it is along the way. 
Um, Trello is something I've used in the past. Microsoft, mm -hmm. Microsoft Project, if you have a PM team, like a project management team or someone dedicated, that's a great tool. I have found it can be a bit much when you have a small team because you could live in there every day. So I like to keep it simple. Um, the other things that are really important are CRMs and marketing automation. Like I said, years ago, I've used Goldmine. I've used Microsoft Dynamics. Dynamics 365 and Salesforce are probably some of the leaders there. Um, and you know, out of the box, they do the basics. They give you fields for everything. So you can put it in, you can get it out. That's really important. Mm -hmm. um, marketing automation, really talk about efficiency. You know, Instead of saying, I'm going to send an email to everybody that signs up for my blog and I'm going to send it to them every time we write one. You program that. You let people sign up and it every time you post a new blog, it triggers it out to them. And you can use um, SharpSpring like, like we do, which is a fantastic platform that blends CRM and the marketing automation. Mm -hmm. I've used other platforms like HubSpot, Eloqua, Pardot, um, there's Marketo out there. Um, but what's really important in picking any of those is tailoring the right platform for your business and for your needs and your team and your budget. So you really have to take all those things into consideration. Uh, a platform like Eloqua is very much an enterprise platform. Yeah. You know, SharpSpring, HubSpot, much more suited for an SMB. So you really need to know. Um, otherwise, you know, I worked somewhere with Eloqua. Frankly, I needed a computer science guru to work the thing. It wasn't marketing friendly. Uh, right. Whereas SharpSpring, HubSpot, you can you can really figure that out. Um, well, that's that's so, important to understand because yeah. companies can overinvest in those sort of technologies, um, and and then you know have the, the the real world awakening that wow, this is this is too high level for our our uh, company, or they can go the other way and underinvest right. and then not live up to expectations. Right. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles that you need. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's important, too. And uh, I, I also think a critical thing in choosing those is also what support do you get after. Uh, it's like a lot of things. Mm -hmm. When sales wants to sell you, they're your best friend. They're sending you stuff. They're calling you. They love you. And then the day you sign on the dotted line, you can't get anybody to pick up the phone and help you. Um, and I found um, SharpSpring is extremely responsive. HubSpot is extremely responsive. Some of the others will remain nameless. Can't get anybody <laughs> on the phone. You're stuck. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really, really an important thing to uh, research before you make a decision. Yeah, lots of good stuff to think about there. And I think that's a pretty good segue in terms of um, advice and recommendations. But it, um, with that, are there any other uh, pro tips that you can share with us today in terms of um, starting to develop a, your, your plan, your strategic plan moving forward? Yeah, I would say some, some tips for marketing planning. There's five key things that, that come to mind. Um, the first one is business goals. Is I've seen so many businesses jump into marketing tactics without looking at quantifiable business goals and objectives. What are you trying to accomplish? So for instance, I worked somewhere once where we didn't have any problem winning business. We had problem keeping it. So if your issue is customer loyalty and retention, you need a whole different approach than if you're if you want brand building or lead gen. So you need to understand what your business objectives are and then you need to quantify them. Okay, we want to stem the flow of losing clients and we're losing, you know, half of our clients. If we can reduce that to losing a quarter of them, that's that's a win, mm -hmm. you know. 
So, you know, that affects what you do from a marketing standpoint. So start with your business goals and make them quantifiable, measurable. Secondly, look at past results. So before you jump into trying things, understand what has happened before and why do we think it worked or didn't. Get your hand on industry stats. There are so many tools and, you know, uh, Mail Monitor, MailChimp have email results. Um, you know, there are so many different places, Forrester, Gartner, um, plenty of places to get statistics on competitors and industry benchmarks. So mm-hmm. have a foundation. That would be the second thing. Third is the old uh, kiss. Keep it simple. Um, you know, don't try to do too much. You know, if you have a small team, you can't do a monthly newsletter. It's too big of a lift. Start quarterly. Get your process working and then back it. Then you can get to monthly. I lived through that. The first time we did this quarterly newsletter, it was such a huge lift. It took forever. And all of a sudden, we got to monthly because we just we got on a roll. We figured out how to do it easily. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the other thing is your objectives, your strategies and your tactics. Pick three to five. You know, we've got three to five goals and this is what we're going to focus on. And let's roll them out gradually. Let's not try to do everything at once. Let's do what's realistic. Now, if you have a big team, you know, this is the digital team. They do SEO and SEM. This is the email team. They do that. And this is the team that does PowerPoint and sales presentations. So much of my experience, we had to do it all. So we had to balance. Yeah. So it really depends on your resources. But even well for larger companies, it. I would think it's that that uh, kiss approach still works. You, it, they still it need does. to keep it simple. Um, it might be it might spread out across more departments and, and and more skill sets, but the the objectives are still well defined and understood. Right. I mean, it just it keeps you focused. You know, it really, mm-hmm. it keeps you focused. And then resource wise, I would tell you my whole career, whether I had myself only one pe- one person, five people or 35 people working for me, we always outsourced. And that's really an important decision to make. What can you handle inside and what do you want to outsource? So, mm-hmm. you know, at one point I had a team of strategists and analysts who could execute and had great ideas, but they didn't have the time to write it and they didn't have the skill to design it. So we always had an agency we worked with. Um, public relations is a very, very unique skill set. Always outsourced the PR. I had a PR expert that was her prior job, but now she wore 10 hats. She couldn't be on the phone contacting media reporters and yeah, pitching posting stories. things. Yeah. She just couldn't do it. So mm-hmm. um, you have to understand your internal dynamic, your budget, and outsource appropriately. Um, so yeah. Um, fourth thing. Speaking of that budget, um, so many companies I've worked for did not allocate enough money to budget. You know, there's Gartner studies that say spend two to four percent of your revenue on marketing. Uh, the Small Business Administration actually says seven to eight percent for small businesses. You know, it really does depend on again your maturity. Are you trying to build a name for yourself, so you might have to invest more in brand building? If you're mature, then maybe you level off your spending. So it really does depend, but you have to look at what's the value of your product or service. Is it a million dollar item or a dollar item? That, it, that affects what you charge. And what is the lifetime value of a customer? You know, not just what do I spend to get them, but if I spend $500 to get this client, but our clients never leave us and I make millions on them, okay, mm-hmm. you need to look at that too. So look at your budget in 
in the sense of what return are you going to get? And then last thing is to document it. You know, I have this oh. kind of hang up that words go in Word and numbers go in Excel and just build a one page plan on a page in PowerPoint. The reality is as, as a marketer, when you're building these plans, I will have reams of data. I will have spreadsheets. I will have projections. I will have content calendars. I will have project plans for every campaign. But the reality is the executives, the sales directors, the relationship managers, they don't really care about all that. And they don't really want to see all of that. So what I've learned is a plan on a page. Here are my objectives, my business objectives, my marketing objectives, my strategies, and my tactics. And it gets them to ask how and why, and then you can pull out the rest of the paperwork. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. you know, just start with that overview and it helps ground everybody. It helps get everybody on the same page. It helps them understand the basics. And, you know, it, it allows you to open up that conversation of, well, how are you going to do that? Tell me more. Sure. You want to see the projections? I can show you that. You want to see this? I can show you that. So, and then you have to test, learn, monitor, adapt, change, and continue to document that so you can learn from what you're doing. Yeah, I, I really like the, the uh, I like them all, but the last one really kind of uh, hits me uh, in terms of helping people understand the, the vision that you have, whether it's your team, your, your team's vision, or maybe it's even the, the, the broader scope of what's the, what's the aim of, of the company? What are we shooting for? And then then it just keeps going down, down, down. Like, well, then how do we, what are we doing to help get, right. get everyone to that, that goal? But giving that what we're doing on a daily basis, some context, I think really, really helps um, bring a team together and unifies them with, with that common goal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this is, uh, this is something we'll probably speak about in some upcoming uh, episodes, but I think that that notion also can, can help in terms of uh, marketing and sales and making sure that they're aligned on similar goals. Um, Absolutely. Each department might be doing different things, but it's nice to have those different things apply to the same, the same goal rather than just going uh, in completely different directions. Absolutely. That's, yes, that is a whole other yep. can of worms and, and uh, lots of experience. And that's our little teaser things. for uh, an upcoming episode. Fantastic. Sounds but Judy, I do want to, I want to say thank you again. This has been a long time coming and I'm, I'm excited. This is more than just uh, the, uh, a 30 minute interview with you that we have some more uh, coming up in the near future. Very excited Great. about well, those. Thanks for uh, talking to me about it. I get quite passionate about these topics. I think it's all really important. And uh, if I can help someone not learn the hard way, I like to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, your, your passion definitely comes through and uh, always a pleasure speaking with you. Great. Thanks, Doug. All right. Take care. Thank you.